The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Wellness, Inc. I'm Dr. Mike Moreno, taking a deep dive into the big business of wellness. After 25 years of practicing medicine, I am fascinated with the booming wellness industry. I'll be exploring apps, gadgets, and discoveries, everything new to help us all get and stay well. Our guest today is an award-winning investigative journalist for Forbes and Vanity Fair and author of the critically acclaimed book, Bottle of Lies. This book spans a 10-year journey to uncover fraud, lies, and deceit in overseas generic drug plants. While we've been reassured that generic drugs are identical to their brand name counterparts, but less expensive, today's podcast will explore why this isn't always true. Ultimately, the goal being to help you choose generic drugs wisely to protect your health and your well-being. I want you to get ready to hear some shocking stuff from my guest, Catherine Eben. Catherine, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Great to be on with you. It really, I have to tell you, the book was fascinating. And, you know, after practicing medicine for 20 years, as I read through the book, I have to ask this first question, which was, you know, at the very beginning, when you talk about being in India and China and Mexico City, where they, I think you said they are, we are watching you. I mean, it had to be a little, a little scary doing this stuff. You know, it was actually, some of the reporting felt pretty harrowing because I was out there on my own. Uh, I was meeting with sources. Uh, you know, I knew that the generic drug industry sort of had their eyes on me. And I thought, uh, you know, this could go any which way. But on the other hand, um, you know, I felt really compelled to tell this story because I felt if I don't tell this, I'm not sure this information will ever be exposed. Right. Well, I, along with many other people in this world, thank you, and particularly our country, because uh, I, 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 when I read that line, I got chills. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, it's always sometimes scary when you're in another country as it is. But yeah. to be doing this kind of stuff, I was like, this is a brave woman. So uh, I, along with everybody else, thanks you. So let's dive into this. Can you give us and the audience a little bit of kind of a history of the FDA? I think it's fascinating, and I don't think a lot of people really know. Yeah. So, you know, today we just all take for granted that our drugs, if they're approved by the FDA and they have to be to be sold here, that those drugs are safe and effective, that every pill that we take from a bottle is going to be the same as any other. It's going to work identically. Um, But There was a time in America where that absolutely wasn't true. There was essentially no FDA. Uh, Companies did not have to prove that their drugs were safe or effective in order to market them. Uh, And, you know, there's one quote in my book, um, you know, that companies would just sort of throw things together. And so long as they didn't explode, they were put on sale. 
It's, it's amazing. Well, you know, you bring up in your book as well that the FDA regulates, and I found this fascinating as well, a fifth of the U.S. Mm-hmm. economy. That's that's a big, I mean, U.S. economy, if you think about how much we're talking about and you talk about 20% of that, it's, it's absolutely incredible. So, you know, talk about how the U.S. was, you know, able to dodge this bullet by, by not approving a drug that was causing all these side effects and all these things, you know, and birth defects and, and all these other things that were going on. Like, how, how do we maneuver through this? Yeah. So this was back. I think you're referring to the thalidomide uh, chapter. Exactly. Uh, and this was back in the 1960s. And there was a drug uh, called thalidomide. Uh, I think Kevadon was the was the um, brand name of it, and it was being widely uh, dispensed in Europe to pregnant women who were having trouble sleeping. Well, there was an FDA reviewer named Frances Kelsey, and she just didn't buy what the company was telling the FDA. She kept asking for more safety studies. Uh, the company executives uh, um, would not provide that information. She did not approve the drug. She just she didn't rubber stamp. And really, a whole generation of mothers and children owe her a debt of gratitude because that drug, thalidomide, was linked to horrible birth defects, uh, babies who were born with flippers instead of arms. Because Francis Kelsey held the line, the only birth defects linked to it were samples that were dispensed 17 cases in the US as opposed to thousands. Wow. So that yeah and that that was a you know a bullet that we dodged and that actually led to more stringent uh, regulation. And you know one of the things reporting this book that is so clear you know no matter what any of your listeners may think of regulation and regulators and they're so fussy and it's so onerous but but the truth of the matter is that those regulations are absolutely critical to ensuring health and safety with Kizik Hands free shoes motion sounds something like this Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. What was another just shocking thing was how the FDA inspections take place here versus in other countries. Oh, you know, it's like having yeah. answers to the test. You know, it was it was it was crazy. Well, well, this is the thing, which is the you know the system that we have here is 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 problematic. It's full of holes. But there is a time where we didn't even have this flawed system, right? And people were, you know, getting medicine with mercury in it and going blind and hair falling out and getting radium poisoning from, you know, all kinds of drugs. So, so, uh, you know, our system now is way better than nothing and it needs to be way better than it is. Yeah, no, it's, there's no doubt. And, you know, it was really shocking to see that, you know, of course, when they do their investigations or when they do their inspections of the US and our production company and our lineage and how that works, it's, it's you know, they can just knock on your door essentially and say, hey, we're here. 
Right. Uh, it, it, you know, if you have a heads up and you know exactly which which things need to be buttoned up and taken care of, and if that's what's going on in in other countries, and then we're getting these medications from other countries, yeah. it's a real cause for for concern. I get it. Yeah, I mean, so the, the you know the two big things that the book exposes is systematic fraud in the overseas plants that are making most of our low cost medicine. You know manipulation of data to make these substandard drugs look better than they are. But then this crazy system whereby the FDA gives overseas plants, you know, two months of advance notice right. that they're coming, which, which you know, they, they, so some of these plants even have data falsification teams that go in in advance of the FDA and alter documents, invent documents uh, you know, in one instance, a company even uh, steamed documents overnight in a sauna-like room to make them look old. So See, the level so, of fraud's mind-boggling. Like I said at the beginning, it is like a Tom Clancy novel reading this book because <laughs> really, I mean, it, it's fascinating. And I had to stop myself several times and I'm like, is this like a novel or is this actually <laughs> happening? Yeah, It was fascinating. I, it was mind boggling that this stuff was happening. So I'm going to remind you guys, if you have not read this book, trust me, it is an amazing read. It is, it is not just these facts. It is a beautifully told story and something that again, we, we thank you for doing. So let's, let's dive into this a little bit. Let's talk about generic drugs and you mm -hmm. know, how did they begin and, and how did they get into our system and, and the whole landscape of, of modern medicine? Like, how did this happen? Right. So, you know, with brand name drugs, which are developed by so-called innovator companies, right? They invent the molecule, they market the drug, they have a patent. So they have intellectual property protection. So when the patent lapses or when a generic company feels that it has a legal argument that it can make the drug, um, that matter usually winds up in a court. And generic companies, if they prevail, what they have to do is reverse engineer the drug. It's not like the brand company says, hey, here's the recipe and here's how you make it. The generic company essentially has to go through a scientific process of guessing how to make the drug. They have to invent their own time release mechanism. They have to break it down in a lab. Um, and so the resulting generic is you know, it, uses, it has to use the same molecule as the brand name drug, but a lot of other things about it can be different. And so it is not an exact copy. It is a version of that brand name drug. Um, and in fact, there can be a sort of a wide range in the amount of absorption into the blood. Um, it can be quite different. Right. So, you know, and as a physician, I cannot tell you how many times, you know, and I, you know, going through the science and I don't want to turn this into a biochemistry discussion, mm -hmm. but, you know, you can take a simple molecule that may represent a, a pharmaceutical drug and you could sort of tweak a carbon level or add a hydroxy mm -hmm. group or just, just to alter it just a little bit. But I don't think that you can assume that that minor alteration however, maybe it doesn't affect the active portion of the molecule, mm -hmm. can be an issue for a lot of people. Right. And so especially for patients who are taking medicine where precise dosing is super important. Um, so those are called narrow therapeutic index drugs for, you know, cardiologists, right. neurologists, endocrinologists, you know, they find that 
when their patients are getting switched from brand to generic or generic to generic, often a patient who was stabilized becomes unstable. So to give an example, like Coumadin, Coumadin is something, mm-hmm. a lot of the, the anti-seizure medications, Dilantin and things like that, right. we monitor levels. And I can't tell you how many times over the years you say, listen, all of a sudden the level goes, you know, up or down or whatever it may be, it changes. And you say to yourself, you know, maybe this patient's not taking the medication or they're taking it wrong or whatever. And it turns out that, you know, maybe something like what you're speaking of that can cause these problems. Absolutely. And the thing is, most patients don't realize, you know, if you take a monthly medication and you go to a pharmacy, you may not realize that you're, the manufacturer of that drug has been changed, yeah. right? So you can have a change from month to month and you're, you wouldn't necessarily know and your doctor doesn't know. Right. And I think important, Give I think I know the answer, but I'm going to defer to the expert. But when we talk about how long these people can hang on to these patents, it is years and That's years right. and years. And right. then they can file for extensions to extend their patent. And unfortunately, it comes down to uh, a big dollar sign for a lot of big pharma. And I, it, it, it's frustrating because, again, and I said this at the beginning, we're talking about human lives. And we're talking about, whether it's from this country or another, we're talking about people who are ingesting something and they trust the process that, that people have gone through to attain this medication. I mean, we all probably would. And it can be really harmful. Absolutely. So, you know, as an example, there there could be a ton of political pressure uh, on the FDA to get a generic approved. And a good example of that is Lipitor. You know, senators were writing to the FDA saying, when are we going to get generic Lipitor? The problem was the generic company that um, had gotten approval uh, for Lipitor um, was completely fraudulent. It was called Rambaxi. It was an Indian generic drug company. Um, and a whistleblower had come to the FDA with documents, and this is a big story in my book, uh, to say this company has committed fraud on a massive scale. The FDA knew that, and yet this company was first in line to make generic Lipitor. It was a big Indian company, Rambaxi. Wow. And so the FDA ended up approving that company to make the first version of generic Lipitor. You know, and I think it's important to point this out, and I'm going to do it now, and I'm going to do it again to remind people who are listening. You're not someone who's just completely against generic drugs. And I know that from reading, but you're someone who wants people to understand and know the facts. But I I think it's important to make that clear. You're not some cowboy out there saying all generic drugs are bad. It's that we just need to be consumer aware. We need to kind of make sure we know what we're taking and where it's coming from in the process. Absolutely right. So, you know, I take generic drugs myself. I mean, we need them. We absolutely need generic drugs. Most of us can't afford brand name drugs, but we need them to be of high quality. So one of the issues is, you know, generics come on the market and the price drops through the floor. Right. So then the question is, what is the incentive for a company that is operating in India, say, with minimal scrutiny from the FDA to not cut corners, to not falsify uh, quality data. 
Right. And especially like you said, when the FDA lets you know two months ahead of time, hey, we're going to be coming over and you may want to know, here's the day, here's the time. Uh, make sure you have everything taken care of so that we can uh, make sure this is all okay and, and approve everything. That's, that's a scary, a scary, scary thought. I got to tell you. Yeah. So, you know, in, so the FDA did this little experiment uh, for about a year and a half where they said, okay, we're going to stop the advance notice. Um, for companies, for manufacturing plants in India. It was called the India Pilot Program. And we're just going to give them, you know, a couple hours advance notice and we're going to show up. Wow. When they did that, they found crazy stuff. Like, for example, a sterile manufacturing plant. It has to do microbial testing of its air, its water, its surfaces. Right. There There was a plant that had perfect sterility data. The only problem is they weren't testing anything. All of the data was fake. <laughs> there were, <laughs> they, had, they had perfect paperwork corresponding to no samples. Wow. So they knew exactly what they needed to do and right. presented that and said, here you go. You know, we're all good. That's right. Wow. I mean, another, another thing that, you know, these, some of these unannounced inspections have turned up during that pilot program you know, infestations of monkeys, of snakes, of pigeons. Um, I am totally pro-animal, but not in a sterile manufacturing plant. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, I have uh, two cats and I love them dearly, but uh, yeah, I would not want them, you know, trancing around Lipitor, you know, that, that would be, yeah, unbelievable. Right, right. Or, or, or open vials of injectable drugs. Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting because I'll tell you when... It, you know, I talk to my patients and it just goes to point out a quick fact that, you know, as physicians out there, and I'm hopefully some of physicians out there listening, listen to your patients, hear what they say, because I think there's a lot to be said. And you pointed this out earlier that there are subtle differences that can tell and patients will tell you, listen, I don't know what it is, but I don't feel the same. And I don't think it's just coincidence that it happened to be when you're transitioning from a brand name to a generic. So it's super important to hear your patients out for the physicians out there listening to this. And I, I, I think, uh, you know, there's there are some things, a lot of people say, well, it's all about just in their head and this and that, and they know it's generic. But I think there's some truth to that, but I also think we need to take time to listen to our patients and, and hear what they're saying. I've had a, a number of doctors come up to me after reading my book and say, you know, I thought that my my patients were just sort of being whiners and complainers, <laughs> uh, you know, saying, oh, my drugs, you know, aren't working. And it turned out, lo and behold, that, you know, they were right. No, absolutely. And, and like you said, it's not all generics. I think if things are done properly, as you said, we need generics. We get it. When we talk about costs of medical care in this country and the costs of drugs and big pharma, you know, the list goes on and on. We need these generics, but I don't think it's a lot to ask that they're done properly. Oh, absolutely. And so then the question is how, you know, now starting in about I mean, this is really an issue of globalization um, because starting in about 2004, the FDA suddenly had more manufacturing plants to inspect overseas than they did uh, within the U.S. And so suddenly this domestic agency became this global uh, you know, watchdog, this global policeman. 
And really, how, how are they supposed to do all of that? Right. And I remember in the book, it said it, it would be they were supposed to it, they were supposed to do it on a certain uh, time frame and it would be two or three or sometimes more years before they got to the plant to inspect it. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, you know, until relatively recently, some uh, some plants would go a decade without oh. being inspected, <laughs> you know, and then uh, and then they would give them months of advance notice. And as one of my sources said to me, you know, I mean, these plants, they will do whatever they have to do to pass an FDA inspection because millions of dollars are at stake. So, you know, give them a weekend. They can put up a building. Right, exactly. Put it. Now, I want to get into this a little bit because this was also fascinating. Uh, I, tell us a little bit about the, the FDA inspector who uncovered a lot of this fraud that was going on. Yeah. So, you know, he's an important character in the book. His name is Peter Baker. Uh, and he was a young energetic inspector uh, who was very unsatisfied with the, you know, two months of advance notice showing up at the plant, getting the dog and pony show and the welcome ceremony and the, you know, <laughs> the video, all of that. So what he did is he started looking, not just saying, can you print out this data for me? What he did is he looked inside the company's computer systems. And once he did that, what he uncovered was a completely hidden world of secret testing. Wow. Which is that these companies were pre secretly pre-screening their drugs to sort of forecast what the test results would be. And then figuring out if the drugs were not going to pass, how to alter the parameters of their testing, and then running the tests again on the official system that the FDA was going to look at. But you know, what he found was metadata that was left over from this trail of deleted tests. Wow. Uh, and that's how he pieced together a really remarkable amount of fraud. So uh, over the course of four years, he inspected about 86 manufacturing drug manufacturing plants in India and China. And he found data fraud in 67 of those plants, like four-fifths of those plants. So now the question everybody has is what happened as a result of him, you know, making these findings? Uh, well, one of the things that <laughs> happened, um, so you would think he would have been steadily promoted and now he's the FDA commissioner. <laughs> well, the story doesn't go like that. <laughs> That's um, why I'm asking. I love it. Yep. So essentially, you know, so he went to his supervisors and he was like, look, let me train the other FDA inspectors to find this stuff, right? Instead, right. what the FDA, um, his supervisors and bureaucrats were doing back at FDA headquarters in Maryland is they were downgrading some of his findings. So, you know, he would uncover horrible fraud. He'd recommend serious sanctions and they would essentially let these companies off the hook. Wow. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, and then they basically kind of reduced the number of inspections he was doing and essentially forced him out of the agency. 
I mean, it's it's unbelievable that that someone it's like you said, you would think he would be promoted and he would be sitting on this grand office with uh, <laughs> everything going for him. And it it's terrible. So we talked. Let me ask you this, Catherine. We talked a little bit about Lipitor. I think mm-hmm. a couple of other ones that really come to mind and I'm thinking of, of my population of patients and probably mm-hmm. a lot of people out there. Accutane. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So. You know, Accutane is an acne drug that was given to a lot of teenagers. And the big problem with Accutane is that it created um, uh, sparked suicidal tendencies. So wow. the, the drug, yeah, it's a scary drug. That's, and yeah. Effective, but scary drug. And um, it was given what's called a black box warning, which is very significant, you know, where the FDA is flagging. This is very serious you know, set of circumstances, it has to be monitored closely. Well, this company, Rambaxi, uh, they were selling a generic version of uh, Accutane. It was called Sotret. And they discovered that the drug, their version was dissolving improperly. And wow. really what? Yeah. So scary. So you've That's got a this. big deal. I mean, for people listening that just think, well, so it dissolves, you're still ingesting it and it's going where it's supposed to go. But the medication dissolving in your system and how it's distributed is a big, big deal. Yeah. And, and, and of course, I mean, you know, all bets are off as to, you know, what the reaction, reaction, it could be toxic, all kinds of consequences can result from that. So, you know, under under the rules, what they were really required to do is say to the FDA, we have this problem. We're going to pull the drug off the market. We're going to try to fix it and we'll come back to you. They right. didn't do that. <laughs> no, of what course they, not. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they didn't do that. So what they secretly, they buried their findings and um, they kept the drug on the market. And then they secretly went back into their lab while it was being dispensed to American patients and tried to solve the problems. So, you know, fast forward about four years, there's a whistleblower inside Rambaxi that's come to the FDA, Dinesh Tucker, a very brave man. The FDA ends up um, serving a search warrant at Rambaxi headquarters, and they find this document, which is this secret report about all the problems with Sotret, and the cover page says in big, bold letters, do not share with FDA. I remember that. Listen, guys, like I said, this reads like a Tom Clancy novel. It is, it's amazing. I was in the first chapter and I was like, what is going on? I was still taken <laughs> back by the whole, the, the, when you were, I think you were in an airport or something and it said, we are watching you. You got a message on your cell or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh God. Yeah. All right. So let's transition a bit. Let's, let's just ask the question. How much changed since your book has come out? Well, so, I mean, my book got a lot of attention. Rightfully so. Been, <laughs> yep. And there have been a, a number of congressional hearings. You know, and Congress at this point is really focused on um, this very broken FDA system. You know, but now, now we've got coronavirus on top of it. Right. So <laughs> this is just, you know, now we've got, you know, this huge disaster on top of the old disaster. And um, one of the things that this pandemic has done is exposed the unbelievable hazards and national security risks of being 
so dependent on drugs from China and India. And of course, in the midst of all of this, our own inspectors couldn't even travel to India or China to do inspections. So suddenly, our whole drug supply is running on an honor system, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the FDA put out this document that was supposed to reassure us saying, well, we can't go to these plants right now. We're suspending our inspections, but don't worry, everybody, because we're we're accepting data from these companies. Oh and <laughs> right? Uh. So for people who understand how broken this is, we're like, oh my God. You know, there's no now there's no verification, zero. Right. <laughs> so I mean, let since you transitioned to coronavirus, and I think it's on the top of all of our minds, um, you know, let's talk about some of the shortages. It's all over mm-hmm. the news. We see it all the time. Let's talk about the shortages that we're seeing because of this pandemic. And, you know, talk through us on that whole thing. I mean, it, it's going to yeah. put us at greater risk. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the shortages really have been serious out of the gate. Uh, And they have actually led to a further decrease in standards. So as an example of that, you know, when when President Trump was talking up hydroxychloroquine from the White House podium, then suddenly the drug, you know, and and saying it was a game changer, suddenly the drug was in short supply all over the world. So, Right. (laughs) right. So, you know, everybody on planet Earth wants this drug and uh, and it's an old malaria drug. Right. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And patients who have lupus and arthritis also use it. Right. So so the FDA is given this mission to go find any bit of hydroxychloroquine anywhere on planet Earth, look under every bush and tree. Right. So they find, um, they get a donation of um, chloroquine phosphate, but basically a similar drug, which is made in a plant in Pakistan that has never ever been inspected by the FDA or any of our regulatory partners. You know, no one except for Pakistani regulators has ever set foot in this plant. And we're suddenly taking millions of pills from this plant, sight unseen. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I remember when uh, when all of this uh, coronavirus started, I have a good friend of mine who's an orthopedic surgeon in New York City. So obviously they were devastated by this whole thing right. initially. Um, and it slowly made its way. But I remember having a conversation with him and he was like, you know, the orthopedic surgeons don't generally deal with hydroxychloroquine. Right. Of course, me as a primary care guy do. He's like, what is this drug hydroxychloroquine and can you get me some? <laughs> And I was like, listen, get a hold of yourself. So and then, you know, as time's gone on over the last several months, we're finding that it's not this, you know, magical thing that we thought it was. Right. Right. And, you know, the thing is, there are ways there are scientific methods for figuring out what drugs work for what disease. You know, they're called clinical trials. Right. Are important. (laughs) I mean, these are standards that are important. You know, you don't just. You don't just throw them out the window because we're in the middle of a massive crisis, which we are, of course. Right. So, you know. So uh, let's talk about what everybody wants to know, which is, all right, so I hear what you're saying. I hear all of this stuff. They're probably shocked that this stuff is actually going on. So if we're dependent on these cheaper generics, like 
what can we do as a consumer? Like, mm. give us some nuggets for people listening. Like, what should I, you know, ensure? Like, how how do I know they're safe? And what are some steps? I mean, you obviously can't have every answer, but mm-hmm. what are some things you'd recommend people to do? Yeah. So, because you know, this is the number one question that I've gotten from readers of the book and concerned consumers. Um, so what I ended up doing is creating a guide to investigating your own drugs, um, which is on my website, katherineeban.com. Uh, and, and the number one first step is to actually pay attention to who is making your drug. You know, when we, when we go to a pharmacy, most of us never even look at who the manufacturer is. And, and I no, think- never. The, Never. And the reason we don't is because the FDA has reassured us that it's all the same, right? There's no difference. I think people are handed a stack of papers with a list of 10,000 side effects, potential side effects, <laughs> you know, which they're like looking through this and they're like, I, I mean, it's it's um, it's like a PDR that they're handed right. with your medication. And it's it's ridiculous. Right. So nobody pays any attention to that. But actually, the first thing that consumers need to do is pay attention to that, especially if they're on a monthly medication. So if that drug is working and you're not having side effects, it's effective, you feel fine, you want to stay on that manufacturer. Right. Right. And you can't, exactly. you can't do that unless you know who made it. Um, right. But if you suddenly feel funny, you feel strange, you're having side effects, you want to get off of that manufacturer's version. So you can, you know, in a lot of cases, you can request a certain generic manufacturer, and I do it all the time. How about this? Because I know a lot of people are going to wonder. Over-the-counter drugs. I mean, over-the-counter drugs, so many supplements, so many things that you can mm-hmm. now just walk into a grocery store and buy, or you can get online. It's it's shocking what you can now just get online with. It's insane. Right. So it's a, that's a great question. I mean, I could have written a whole separate book about <laughs> over-the-counter drugs. You know, the short answer is um, be, be very afraid. Um, the If you go into a CVS or a Walgreens or a Dwayne Reed, that you will have access to the drugstore version of cough syrup, you know, any of that stuff, um, right. acetaminophen. But usually those drugs are made by these, you know, very low cost Indian manufacturers who are operating under contract with those pharmacy chains. And those auditing contracts are terrible. Like, you know, CVS says, okay, we have the right to inspect you once every five years, and we're, we have to give you two months of advance notice. Right. Yeah, and the FDA looks at, at the over-the-counter drugs a lot less than they do the prescription drugs, so it's, it's dodgy. You know, I tell my patients all the time, because uh, people assume if you can just walk into a drugstore and buy something or get it online, that it must be completely safe. So there's mm-hmm. there's one element of you know, where is this drug coming from and where is it being manufactured? And then there's the other thing about really knowing, you know, drug to drug interactions and, you know, what is a quality product? And so for my own knowledge, and I I can't wait to get your answer. I've always gone by for, shouldn't say always, but I, I, I put a lot of worth into the GMP products, which is a good manufacturing practice. My understanding, it's a third party that inspects, that makes sure that what you're getting in that bottle is actually 
you know, in that bottle. Tell me about GMP a little bit. And I think that's a helpful thing for people to know because you're going to see that on a lot of labels. And if you don't, I think it's time to be suspect. Right. Well, so, you know, any, any product that is sold in the United States that is regulated by the FDA uh, has to be manufactured using good manufacturing practices. Okay. And the FDA inspections basically check for those, right? Is that company, is that plant complying with those regulations? So then there's this whole separate subset of products that are really minimally regulated by the FDA, like supplements. Gotcha. Right? And a lot of those companies will make all kinds of claims about quality, um, many of which are just not true at all. So, you know, I I basically feel just for me, for my family, um, as broken as the FDA system is, I do not want to be taking anything that has been made in a plant where the FDA hasn't inspected. And, you know, I mean, some of the pictures that I have seen out of these plants in India where they're like, oh, they're making over-the-counter drugs. Um, there are just, I mean, just ghastly conditions, you know, um, bathrooms with no drainage piping. Oh, just, my God. Just nightmarish things. Like, and you, then you think about actually ingesting something. That's what, That was the point I was just going to get to. I'm like, we're not talking about rubbing like a balm on our skin, guys. We're talking about ingesting this and having it absorbed in our bloodstream, run through our body. And I think there's just a lot of like, we just trust people, you know? And and I think, uh, I don't think there's an intent here that, you know, know, someone wants to do harm. You know, we take a Hippocratic oath when we graduate from med school Mm -hmm. and that oath says, do no harm. And I don't think, you know, by and large, for the most part, we are all trying to do the best that we can. And again, I want to point out that you're not on some tirade against, you know, all of these, the big pharma. That's not your point. Your, your point mm-hmm. is more, let's educate people. Let's mm-hmm. make people aware because listen, it's 2020. Now I, I'm an old school guy, you know, I'm 52 going on like 82, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, you know, it's the world just went and got itself in such a hurry. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we're just trying to keep up. And so a lot of these things will slip by us. And your book and your work is critical. Again, this is not about money, although, you know, I won't even get into that discussion. Mm-hmm. But this is about the safety of individuals, of a human life. And it, it's really, really amazing the work that you've done. I One other thing I had to bring up was when you brought up going back to the, in the book with the AIDS epidemic in Africa, mm-hmm. yeah. stunning 5,000 people a day yeah. dying. And, yeah. and the orphans, I mean, I read that passage several times and I thought, my gosh, you know, they, the orphan population was just substantially growing 5,000 people a day. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, amazing to me ridiculous yeah, to the to the extent that the biggest industry in many african nations was making coffins oh my god you know I, so but but then so just fast forward to these these companies and what a number of these generic companies do and it's pretty shocking is they engage in a practice called dual track production 
which okay. is they Take make us through that. Yeah, they make one level of quality for the more regulated markets. So those are the markets in which they think they can get caught, right? <laughs> right. And then they make another level of quality for minimally regulated countries like African countries where they're assuming that nobody's checking the quality of the drug. And they are really, you know, dumping their worst ingredients, the most shortcuts uh, into the drugs for those countries. Now, you know, your listeners might think, well, that's terrible, but it doesn't affect me. But actually, it affects all of us. It affects all of us. Yeah, because, you know, those substandard drugs and subpotent drugs are actually contributing to drug resistance. And that's spreading all through the world. So, you know, because of these low quality generics, it's actually reducing the effectiveness of all of our drugs. Yeah. And that's the last, I mean, we've been talking about antibiotic resistance for since, you know, I came out of medical school 24 years ago and it's still present and it's still a problem and it's still a concern. When you you talk about super bugs that are out there, they've seen everything. And when you bring it up and I got to be honest with you, I didn't think of it in this way. I think of it more as a clinician and and in my Mm -hmm. practice, but when you bring it up this way, it's, it's even more of a concern. I can, I get it. I mean, I totally get it. Yeah. So it's really, you know, if you like basically underdose an entire continent of people, uh, you know, you're really messing with the effectiveness of some of the few weapons we have against these infectious diseases. Right. I tell my patients about supplements and I, and I, I share this with all of them. The thing I want to know about supplements is that it's doing what it's supposed to do, mm-hmm. that it's not harming you, and that it's not breaking the bank. And I think right. those three things, you know, for those of you out there, let your doctor know, let them know what you're on, you know, be informed. I think the whole point, and I, again, you have to get this book, Bottle of Lies. You have to give this a read. Uh, it's it's amazing. It, it was not, I got to tell you, Catherine, it was not what I expected. And as I got into it, you know, there's a, we all have a lot of time these, these yeah. days. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was riveted. It was like I was reading a novel and it was fantastic. I can't thank you enough for, for everything and for spending time with me and, and with the listeners. I think this information is so valuable. You know, any last words, what would you say to, people out there listening with all of the work and all of the years and everything you've done, if you could just sort of, you know, give a a finishing sentence to people and let them take away one thing, what would that be? I guess what I would say is it's unfortunate that we have to be Sherlock Holmes when it comes to our own medication. It shouldn't be that way. But I think once people become aware of what is going on, then the path forward becomes clearer. For example, we need more information about our drugs. You know, why don't patients have, why don't, why don't we get country of origin labeling for our drugs right. and drug ingredients? You know, my uh, sort of my job as an investigative journalist is to turn on the Klieg lights so we can all see what's going on. <laughs> exactly. And see, you know, we'll see what scurries out from under the rock, essentially. Right. Um, but that's. Those are the changes that we need. And so there needs to be a lot more transparency. And, uh, you know, I think the more 
patients that are aware of these issues, the more the closer we get to a consumer revolution on this. Right. Ask questions, be informed. You don't need to become a biochemist or an expert. (laughs) But, you know, like you said, I mean, a takeaway, know what's the country of origin. After talking to you, I could talk to you forever, but after talking to you, it's like, that seems like the one thing you want to know. Yeah. And at the moment, consumers, you really... You really have to be an investigative journalist to find it out because that that information is not offered to consumers. And with the danger you put yourself in, I'm going to leave that work to you. Uh, (laughs) I'm not particularly interested in doing that. Catherine, where are people going to find you? Give us your social media. Give us a way for us to get to you because I'm sure this was not even near enough information and people are going to want to reach out to you. So how can we find you on social media? Absolutely. So I'm very active on Twitter at Catherine Eban. Uh, you can re- contact me through my website, which is katherineban.com. Uh, I always love to hear from readers. Uh, happy to interact. Awesome. Catherine Eben, Bottle of Lies. You need to get this book. You need to read this book. Thank you guys. And Catherine, I cannot thank you enough. Fascinating book, amazing work. I got to tell you, even after practicing as long as I've practiced, I was, this opened my eyes. So I want to thank you personally and professionally for for the work you've done. And I know the listeners out there, this is going to be really helpful stuff for us moving forward. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time to chat with you. Thank you. So everybody, thanks for joining us. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. Catherine Eben, really, really amazing work. Uh, I want to remind you guys to subscribe and download and listen to Wellness Inc. with me, Dr. Mike Moreno, and uh, have a great afternoon, evening, morning, whatever it may be. We'll see you very soon. Thanks. The Wellness Inc. with Dr. Mike Moreno podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional. Thank you.